Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. To donate, go to paypal.me slash Raphael. That's S-I-F-U-R-A-F-A-E-L. I'm trying to keep this podcast free of advertisements. Anything you can donate is greatly appreciated. Thank you. My guest today is Dr. Angela Mulroney. Dr. Mulroney is a global speaker, best-selling author, and personal brand archetyping expert. And once they let that go and they start to be freer, they start to be able to live into who they actually are. Bam, here we go. End of season two. 150 episodes since I started. What a journey. Thank you so much for anyone who has actually listened to even one episode. I am blessed to be able to talk to amazing people. Season three starts April 5th. Everyone who's been on my show has been super amazing. What a great lineup I have for you. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to any comments and reviews that you may have. Thank you. Angela, thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Oh, the honor's all mine. Are you kidding me? You're from everything that I've seen about you, you're just amazing. Thank you. But before we get to the amazing Angela that you are today, let's let's start from the beginning, right? Okay. Where were you born? Talk to me about your childhood. Because for me, I've come to understand fully that a lot of who we are today stems back from our relationship with our parents, our mentors when we were little, our teachers, someone impacted us in one way or another. There was an influence that shaped who we are today, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I was born in the Yukon in Canada, which is... um, my dad was an RCMP, so amongst the RCMP, that is not unusual. But for Canadians, that's kind of a an exotic thing. Mm. So I grew up there, and then we moved to Ottawa, and then we moved to Saskatchewan. So I had a little bit of uprooting on the regular, and my mom kind of always had this fear that my dad was going to come home and be transferred again. Mm. So there was a lot of problems kind of developing connection, to be honest, because in my mind, I was also like, okay we might only be here for a couple of years. So why, why connect with people? Um, and so that really actually shaped me for a long time because it was, it was really difficult to want to develop those relationships. Cause even like at three years old, 
I remember crying and leaving my little best friend, oh. uh, Barkley, in the Yukon and then moving to Ottawa and then develop friends. And then those bonds got broken. And then when I moved to Saskatchewan, I was like, might as well not even like really get attached to people because, you know, we might be leaving again. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely something that was formative as I was growing up. You know, you just brought a memory for me. Yeah. I had a friend of mine who I loved when I was a little kid, and his name is still Fabrizio. I lost touch with him. But my gosh, did I feel so attached to this kid. And once I moved, that was it. I've never had a friend like that, ever. It's just kind of weird, right? And I still think about him from time to time. So, but, you know, friendships, right? Absolutely. Who would you say is is your biggest influence growing up? I feel honestly that a lot of the, like I was an athlete as a kid. I was competitive in music. I was an academic as well. So I had all these different teachers who were, were coaching me and helping me to be my best. And it was actually my English teacher in grade 12, uh, Mr. Croyder, who he was one of the ones who just pointed out like, you're going to change the world mm. with what you could do. You're going to change the world. And I remember he wrote one of my recommendation letters for university and I bawled after reading it because uh-huh. he saw the potential in me that, you know, I couldn't even see the potential of myself. And like, I was a smart kid. I was the top of my class. I was a great athlete and all these things, but those were things that were just like me trying to be the best version of myself, but I wasn't even seeing that other people could see that best version of myself. So mm. it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, I'm actually doing okay in the world. <laughs> and so that helped push things forward. That's awesome. And it was that someone believing in you, right? That's, that's what it takes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you said it, you didn't even know this about you. And that's yeah. the beauty of it, right? When someone else sees your, almost the, like they see your future. Because he said, you're going to change the world. Yeah. And I, I believe you are. Tell us, how are you doing that? How am I doing that? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've had quite an interesting journey. I was a dentist and then I got injured and then I moved back to dancing full-time professionally and then built my coaching company. And now what I do is what I feel is actually changing the world the most. So I, I had this terrible shyness, this lack of belief in myself mm. all my life. Like I was the kid who, if I saw my teacher at Costco, I would freeze and not be able to go across the store to go and say, Hey, how, how's it going? And my mom would be like, go. And the more she pushed me, the more I felt like my, like cement in my shoes and I was stuck. Um, and that carried on through university. When I became a dentist, I was, I worked primarily with kids because kids, I could just tell stories to. So I had this kind of script Mm -hmm. that really worked for me with them. And then the parents, the kids came out happy and wanted to come back. So the parents were happy as well. So I didn't have to have a whole lot of interaction there. And then once I bought my dental practice, I actually bought, <laughs> this was not that well planned. I bought a practice at 28 from a 78 year old dentist. So there was this massive generation gap right. and he was boisterous, larger than life and super charismatic. And then there was me <laughs> who was like, <laughs> hiding in the corner being like is the next patient ready do I have to go talk to them and so there was this major disconnect between the two of us and the team they were used to this old dentist so you know I was I was very skilled as a dentist but those interpersonal skills weren't there probably due to that lack of connection as a kid Mm. um, that made me shire as well and I eventually had to go okay 
you know, put your big girl panties on, sit there and like stay attached to the chair and sit there and just try to talk to the patient. Mm. And so every day I could talk a little bit more, talk a little bit more. And I just forced myself out of my comfort zone to start developing that. And after I lost my ability to practice, I really lost my identity because I had wanted to be a dentist since I was two. Mm. That was like my path was to play with teeth and power tools. (laughs) And it was, it was really challenging when I wasn't able to practice anymore due to an injury that wasn't my own. It wasn't my fault. It was um, just due to my genetic makeup, but it caused me to really take a step back and go like, who the heck is that person in the mirror? Mm. I don't even know her now that she is in the dentist. She doesn't have this like identity attached to her anymore. So I had to do a lot of digging to try and figure out who I was. And I find with the work that I do now, I'm having to go back and help people to look in the mirror and see who they are because most of them have been high level professionals. Like I was, they followed that traditional path and then they've had something happen. Usually um, just some sort of awakening. Mm -hmm. They've made a choice that, you know, this traditional path, isn't for me anymore. I am not realizing my full potential staying in this box. So I want to pivot and figure out a better way. And when they do that, even if they're not forced into that, they have that identity crisis as well. And they don't really know who they should be, what they should be offering to the world, because they have all these different talents that they can pull from. And now I'm asking them to step into that potential, step into their, the best version of themselves. And they're not sure which pieces to take with them when they do that. So I feel like my journey of, you know, the shyness and self-discovery and having to reinvent myself, um, being forced out there by the world to do that has helped me to be able to reach back and help these clients to pull themselves into the future and figure out how they're going to pivot, how they're going to show up in the world. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you brought up, uh, uh, something that made me think when you said, talk to the patient. But how difficult is it for the patient to talk back? Because they, their mouth has got stuff in it. Their mouth is open, right? Yeah, this is when they're sitting upright. This is not when I've got their mouth on the stuff. Yeah. And I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean. It's before and after, right? Before and after. I know, I know. But I'm just thinking, I'm like, because you see it in the movies, you see it in even commercials that someone's got their mouth open and everything, and the doctor's talking to the dentist is talking to them, and the person can't really respond like uh 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 uh. Yeah. But so that just brought that mind. But I know what you meant with finding your identity. That had to be tough mm-hmm. because right now you're helping people do it, but you didn't have anyone helping you, right? You had to figure it out mm-hmm. on your own. And I think that lesson for you is what made you even stronger because now you're helping other people realize their identity. Mm-hmm. So how, yes, and I, how deep did you have to dig? Oh, pretty deep. Like there was lots of sitting in the corner crying, not knowing what was, what I should be doing. And I had all this advice coming at me, especially when my injury first happened, people were like, well, you have this clinic, you have, you've built this brand in the marketplace. Why not leverage that? And so I tried to, I was like, well, all you guys are, you've been through this, you've watched other dentists um, go through tough times. And so I felt like they, they had this knowledge that could help me. So I was like, okay, this is what you're saying to do. I'm going to give it a try. But I always had this, this gut instinct 
like alarm bell going off saying like, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't what you should be doing. And so for two and a half years, I had this, this war inside me of everyone's telling me to do this. And it's like from the outside, this feels, this sounds like it should be cracked. Right, right. And then on the inside, I was like, no, 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 you shouldn't be doing this anymore. Like get out, get out, get out. So for two and a half years, I'm like holding on going, no, just go in one more day, one day at a time, mm-hmm. keep showing up. And it finally, the impetus of me actually selling my practice was when the, uh, the oil crisis happened in 2015 and I was in Calgary. So completely oil-based city Mm. and our economy tanked so fast and it still hasn't really recovered. And in my head, I was like, okay, I'm not doing this with other people working in my practice when I can't be the one delivering the care. I'm not because I'd been through the global financial crisis when I first bought the practice. So I'd seen what economic devastation could do. And so I made the decision to fire sell my practice. So I sold it for about half of its value because I knew I needed to get out and I needed to get out fast. Otherwise, the value of the practice would be degraded severely. Mm. And everyone thought I was crazy. Like what you're leaving so much money on the table. And I'm like, but I don't think I am. I think the ability to free myself to move to the next stage of my life is worth that investment of what I'm going to lose. And it was, it was the best decision I made. Like I remember the day I handed over the key, it was June 15th of 2015. Mm. It was just this massive relief. It was like this weight that I've been carrying on my shoulders for the past two and a half years just was completely gone. And I was able to start seeing things again. Like I felt like I was seeing color. I was seeing, you know, I was feeling things again that had been so compact like my life had been compacted and I was in this dark place for so long because I was fighting myself and so suddenly the war was over and I was able to start moving forward yeah you you know you you just spoke about something that is so important to people realize that it's not money it's our happiness that matters right Mm -hmm. because we can make money everybody can make money right but if you're not happy making the money, you're in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. You're doing the wrong thing. Because, and I've said it probably a million times, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times. No matter how much money you have, you can't take it with you when you go. Right? Absolutely. So it means nothing when you really think about it. It's your happiness that's everything. It's, it's that comfort feeling that you can go to sleep without a billion worries in your head that you're comfortable in your own skin, right? Some people, Mm -hmm. in order to make money, they'll sacrifice themselves in so many different ways Mm -hmm. that they lose focus of who they are. And all they're doing is they're chasing the wrong thing. When in reality, for me, my purpose, and I think you found your purpose, is to help other people. That's it. That's, that's, the, that's my only purpose. And mm-hmm. the more I help more people, the more fulfilled I feel. Right. So that to me has come full circle. And, you know, when you talked about you're helping other people, no matter what level they are in, in their career, and they're going to change careers, sometimes they don't even know they're changing careers. And I said it to my son and I said, don't worry. If you feel you're making a mistake in your career, or if you're choosing the wrong career, you're young. You have a chance to do something else. And I myself had had 
probably 3 billion jobs. <laughs> so, and you, you always have to discover yourself because the other thing I always talk about is that we live our life like a book, right? There's different chapters. There's different parts. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. So there's always something new. You got to turn that page and find that excitement. Mm -hmm. Right. So what we do today should lead to our tomorrow. Agreed. And turning that page can be so scary, though, because like I know it's on this page. Right. So what if the other side doesn't have what I've been seeking? What if it's better for me to just stay here? Mm. Um, so many people are worried about that and worried about niching into what they're really great at. And it is it definitely takes bravery. It takes courage to actually do it. So why did you decide? to become a coach because this podcast is based on coaching, right? It's called coaching call. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always very intrigued and interested as to why someone would want to work with other people. Now we all know that when we work with other people, they bring a lot of baggage in, in different ways. Some are really light and easy to work with and some are very heavy and so why put yourself into that situation? I think I've always enjoyed the puzzle of trying to figure out how to help people and help to help them get out of their own way. Because even with my practice, I was dealing with, like when I was an associate, I was dealing with scared little kids. So it's like, okay, what is the puzzle that we need to figure out with them to get them comfortable so that they trust me and they're excited to come to my chair? And then with the phobic adults, it was the same thing. It was like, okay, what do we need to figure out? What are those triggers from your past that we need to start eliminating for you so that you can get comfortable in my chair? So I don't have to sedate you. You can just become a regular patient and be completely comfortable even mm -hmm. after 40 years being terrified of the dentist. Right. And the same thing happens with, with the coaching for clients when it comes to their personal brands. It's still trying to figure out those what makes them tick? What are those barriers and how can we light a match, burn those barriers down so they can start moving forward? And the joy I get when someone has that light bulb moment, they're like, oh, yeah. that's the piece that I need to eliminate. And it's been staring them in the face the whole time, but they couldn't see it. And once they let that go and they start to be freer, they start to be able to live into who they actually are. Those moments are so beautiful. I just got goosebumps talking about it. But when I see that happen with my clients, it's amazing. And that's what gives me energy. And I've been fortunate enough with having sold off my other companies and niched down into exactly what I'm doing. I've been able to attract exactly those ideal kind of clients that I want to work with who want to get out of their own way. They want to move forward and they are able to let their guard down with me to be able to sift through that baggage and figure out, okay, what baggage is serving you? What baggage is not? And what are we going to use to actually move forward? You just said the most important thing to open up, right? To be vulnerable because change is very scary for so many people, right? And you know that because you're dealing with people who are going through that transition. And so many people have been stuck on that same page, right? If you will, in a book. And they're like, I'm comfortable here. I know what it says. Now, if I flip that page, uh-oh, you know, like cliffhangers, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you watch a TV show and you're like, oh, I need to binge. I need to watch the next one. What's going to happen? And they leave you wondering. So I think it's that wonder, right, that we all have 
It's like, what's next? What can I accomplish? How can I move forward? So when someone comes to you and they know they need to make a change, but they're not sure as to what, how do you help them find that? Why? What's next? Well, I go through their story. Mm. So I want to find out, you know, why did they start on the path that they're on? Why are they on that path right now, especially after everything has gone as chaotic as it has the last couple of years? And then where are they trying to go? And then we look at, you know, where are they right now? Where are they trying to go? And are they actually in a position right now that will launch them to where they want to go? Mm-hmm. Or are they completely misaligned with that, that potential? Um, so once we start figuring that out, they start to have like bulb moments of, okay, if I actually want to achieve that, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Then we also dig into their brand archetype, which is something that I find is the most life-changing for my clients because they start to go, okay, I'm not a freak. There's actually other people (laughs) out there who operate the way that I do. And for your audience, I don't know if they know about brand archetypes. So I'll just explain that a little bit, just so they get the gist of it. But it's not like personality testing. It is, it's almost like these characters that we know through history, through different cultures, through story, through um, even mythology that we identify with. And there are ways that people think and operate in the world. There's philosophies that go with it. There's like behaviors that go with it as well. And once they identify what one of those, there's actually 60 archetypes that apply to professionals in business. And then we kind of narrow them down into 12 big ones with five sub archetypes. But once they can latch onto what that archetype is, they start to go, oh, okay, I'm not a freak. (laughs) There's other people out there like me. This is who I am. And they start to, you see them like literally move forward into their potential. Mm. And then they start to be able to see themselves in other people. They see people, they start to look at their um, clients and their audience and go, okay, these are the people I work really well with. And this is why. And they may not have been able to put their finger on it before. They might've had a little bit of intuition, but now they almost have like a checklist of behaviors and attitude that they work well with. And so they start to be able to, attract those people and also put out their content in a way that is attractive to those right audience. And so when they have that understanding of how they do things, why they do things, and again, that they're not a freak for the way that they operate in the world, that really starts to change their lives. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Let's go ahead and go into that branding, right? When we think about each one of us, we are a unique brand, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're talking about. You're going to help them understand that branding, who they are, right? Because yes, we have put ourselves in situations that kind of everyone is going to look at and they go, oh, that's, that's who that person is. But we can change that, right? Mm-hmm. Through branding ourselves to rediscovery. How, how do you help someone brand themselves differently? from what they were or where they are now? Mm -hmm. Well, there's so many different ways to explain an idea. There's different ways to ask questions. And so once they have that archetype, they have this lens that they can look at everything that they're doing through Mm. and they can start creating that congruency in what they're doing. What most people do is they really do throw spaghetti against the wall and hope something that they put out there sticks, right? They hope something will resonate. And Doing that, especially like I work on LinkedIn with my clients, that's the only platform I work on. You, your reputation is everything on that platform. So you do not want to misstep. You don't want to appear haphazard. You want to come in with a consistent strategy that shows who you are day in, day out, 
on your content, in your sales calls, how you exist in your life. And so when I'm working with them, we really do need to understand how they operate in the world, that brand story. What does that represent? How do we use their archetype to create the foundation for that brand story so that when they write their about section, they're telling their story in a way that makes sense and it showcases you know, that, those behaviors, that motto of how they operate in the world, those personality traits that are essential to them. And then that foundation, they can keep coming back to. So if they get stuck, you know, I sometimes get stuck when I'm writing a keynote speech. I'm like, okay, so my archetype is rebel. So I will <laughs> blow up anything in my way. I'm always asking why holding a mirror up to the world. And so when I get stuck, I'm like, well, what would the rebel do? Mm. And I go back and read what I know about myself. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, duh. <sighs> Now let's get out of the out of our way and keep writing. So it gives them this toolkit that allows them to pull from to be able to really, again, keep stepping into their potential, but also make themselves very understandable to the world. Because if you have that consistency in how you show up, that's where you become trustworthy. If sometimes you're this thing, sometimes you're that thing, sometimes you're another thing, then the world goes, not really sure who this person is. So which of these people can I trust? So it, it really does create that consistency and congruency in how they show up. Yeah. I, I love the way that you just talked about, I guess, finding your calling, right? Finding who you are, because who you are is the one that has the answer, right? It's, it's almost like finding your animal, right? What animal are you? What, what characteristic is driving you? Mm-hmm. Because that character, if you will, is going to give you the guidance that you need. But sometimes we fall short on that and we don't ask the question. Like you said, you're a rebel. What would the rebel do, right? And had you not asked that question, you might have just been spinning around in circles. But going back to your foundation, which a lot of us don't know or realize, that we all have a foundation. We all stand for something, right? And Finding that and realizing that that's what's going to help us and guide us forward. So how do you help someone? And I know you you talked about the different traits and so forth. How do you find someone who they truly are? A lot of discussion and a lot of soul searching. Um, When someone has their first session with me, like if they want to book one at in the evening, I'm like, don't drink coffee. <laughs> expect to be up all night thinking because I'm going to be asking you hard questions that no one has asked you before, but you need it to be asked. And so your brain is going to be spinning. And sometimes it takes them a week to take all those questions and all those gut reactions that they had to what I said and be able to pull it together and go, okay, now I'm ready to move forward. So it is, I kind of do shove them off the cliff into discomfort and allow them to start getting into that discomfort and start digging through what they actually need to discover about themselves. And it's an uncomfortable process. Change is uncomfortable. Discovery is uncomfortable, especially if you have to look into the little deep, dark crevices of what you've been through and where you want to go. But once we start digging all that up, then they can go, okay, again, what is the baggage that we are using to serve us? What is the baggage that we need to let go of? Mm -hmm. And once we start sifting through that and get that organized and they understand who they are and what they want to do, then they can start showing up on their content and be comfortable showing up on their content. Because when you have these little doubts of who you are and whether people are actually going to listen to you or they're going to steal your ideas or you know, you're going to sound ridiculous on camera, 
you can't show up well. And that's going to show up in your sales calls. You're going to, you know, you're going to talk people out of actually buying from you in your content. People are going to be like, something about that doesn't feel right. And so then they can't trust you. And so really that, that ability to step into who you really are and owning who you are is so important. And it allows people to, to attract those right people. Cause when someone sees themselves in you, they see themselves in your story or your client's story, they're attracted. Mm-hmm. If they see that you are real and you're, you're not just this professional on a pedestal, you're able to step down and just be a regular human being, they start to trust you. And so we really need to look at all those different components and go, okay, how can we show up in the world in a way that we feel good and also adds value to our clients, makes them feel good, makes them feel comfortable with us. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about a co- so much stuff. <laughs> You know, thank you so much for that. And this is why I believe in coaching so much, because sometimes we get in our own way. We get in our own minds. Right. And you talked about the mirror and you talked about trust and you talked about baggage. All of these things are important because you have to trust yourself. Right. And looking in the mirror is you have to also love the person who's looking back. And sometimes I say to people, Yeah, you may be looking in the mirror, but your mirror is dirty. Let's clean that up, right? Let's take a better look because you're not really seeing the full picture. Or, you know, there's a veil in front of that mirror. You got to remove that. And then when you talked about baggage, for me, I kind of saw like somebody going through the airport with like their shirts hanging out and stuff like that. And then they open it, it flies open because they have so much junk in it instead of like defining what it is that you need to take on a three-day trip and not taking 12 bags, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's important to understand all these concepts in order for you to truly be the person that you need to present yourself to. Because the most important person you need to improve on and impress on is you, right? So it's not about what they think about me. It's what I think about me. Mm-hmm. So. Coaching to me is everything. And I love the fact that you you even said don't have a cup of coffee because we're going to work hard, right? And some people see coffee as as a way out. Well, I got to stay up. I got to drink more coffee. No, you got to stay up because you're passionate about what you're doing. And that's the difference, right? How can people reach out? Because my gosh, I think so many of my audience is going to say that we want to work with Angela. We want to work with her. So how can someone reach out to you and maybe inquire and just have a conversation with you and see if it's, if you're the right choice for them? Absolutely. So they can reach out to my, my personal email, which is Angela at unleashinginfluence.com. Or if they go to unleashinginfluence.com, there is a tab to actually sign up for a phone call. So it's 30 minutes and we can talk about whatever you want. Mm. Um, whether it's you're stuck and you've got a little problem you want to deal with, or you're wanting to know how we can move things forward together. I'm happy to talk about whatever you need. That's awesome. You're a best-selling author. Let's talk about your book, book books. Talk books. Books. <laughs> nice. So let's talk about what, why, why write a book? And I ask this to every author, why mm-hmm. write a book? I find writing books is actually cathartic and it helps me to get things out that I need to share, but it also helps me to organize my information. 
So the first book that I wrote was The Passion Pursuit, which is about pivoting. So if you're going to leave your full-time profession and you're going to step into your passion, what do you need to think about so that you don't do it and then go, what did I do? And you go running back to being an employee. Um, then my second book was Unleashing Influence. That was talking about the journey of how I built what I did on LinkedIn, how the techniques that I used, what you can do to, to start building your personal brand. So those two books came out at times when I need to dig into that more myself. And so I find the writing process, you know, you get so many ideas, you get to sit in a room. And my first book, I locked myself in a hotel room for five days and wrote the whole book. Oh, wow. And then my second book, I wrote the whole book in two weeks after hours from work. And just those, those taking that time. And I feel like it was almost selfish taking that time because it was for me, getting that organization of all these thoughts that had been floating around, suddenly I could get them all moving in one clear direction. And it helped me to move past some of, some of the things that I was stuck on myself. Mm. And the people who have read them said, you know, they really enjoyed the books. They see themselves in it. They, they feel the stories. They, they feel like they can apply them to their life and they've been able to make changes because of it. So even though it started with me having to do something, it's actually helped people um, because of sharing my journey. And I'm pretty open and honest in, in my writing as well about what I've been through. So mm. it's not sugar-coated. Um, right, it's, right. it's pretty raw and vulnerable as well. Nice. So what's your next book? My next book is about the arsonist, which is what I mostly do with people now is like, let's figure out what you need, what is not working in your life and start burning it down. Oh, I love that. So I don't want to share the title of it yet, yeah, yeah, but gotcha. it's about that theory of, you know, how, how do you actually comfortably niche so that you can become masterful in what you're doing and in your brand? Nice, nice. Sounds like an awesome read. You know, one of the things that I love is reading, right? And I love it. You know, I'm, I'm reading a couple of books right now, and I, I think I've become very passionate about getting authors to send me books, and I'll pay for your books. I would love to get them signed by you, obviously, and I'll, I'll pay you for whatever it is. And for me, it's I when I was younger, I used to read like fantasy stuff. But now my passion is about learning, knowledge. To me, that's everything. Because I can't consume enough knowledge. And every day I need to learn something. Something has to come into me. I have to feel that fulfillment. So knowledge has been my passion and it has been for quite some time. But now I'm like such a sponge. At the end of the day, I wring it all out because I want a fresh sponge tomorrow. So, and that, that, that's why journaling to me has been important as well, because there's so much knowledge coming in that that's why I have to like, kind of like vomit onto my paper, <laughs> all of it, because it's just so much, right? How do you find yourself? Because you wrote a book in five days and most people can take years to write a book. Mm -hmm. And you locked yourself up in a room. And then the other one, you did it after work in two weeks. And so many people have fleeting ideas and this and that and the other. But they don't lock themselves up. Because I think for you to have been able to do a five-day book that truly you focused on it, you, I'm just imagining. I can only see you there like a mad scientist almost writing this up. And then it, it just flowed for you. 
I don't think you said, yeah, I don't have anything, but I'm going to sit in, in a room for five days and write something. I think that book was already in you, right? You just had to put it in paper. Exactly. Yeah. I'd had the thought of what it should be already. So it was just, okay, where in my schedule can I sit down and just let this all come out? Mm. So yes, I don't like, honestly, if someone was trying to write something without having an idea of how to write it, I've witnessed people do that. And that's when it's like, I've been writing a book for 10 years. Like, well, are you actually going to finish that book or not? Because there's something missing that's allowing you to finish it, whether it's fear or it's that lack of, you know, direction with it. Um, that could be a problem. But I think when you, when you have that book inside, you already know what you need to talk about, then it becomes easy to let it flow. Yeah, absolutely. You also are a public speaker. Yes. And most people fear speaking in more than five people, right? But when you become a public speaker, you can speak to a hundred people. You speak to 30, you can speak to 10,000 people. Why are you not afraid? Oh, I'm afraid. Oh, good. <laughs> if, you see, if you see me behind the scenes, this is the same as when I was, as performing for professionally as well. I'm the one in the corner with my headphones in, just in my zone, honestly, trying to calm myself down and just get in the flow. And some people are like, oh, you even eventually have to let that go. And I, I think it's actually a tool that I use because the minute I step on stage, the world completely slows down. Mm. I can hear things in the audience that I would never hear if I wasn't in that, that excitement state. Right. Um, I can see things that are happening. I can, it's almost like I have uh, almost like an out of body experience yeah. where I can control what is happening. And the same thing happened when I was a professional performer as well. And that's part of the reason I like public speaking is because it scares me. <laughs> yeah. And then it also is that exhilaration after the fact that I did it. And the ideas that come out of you, and this is something if someone's learning to public speak, record yourself. Every time you do a speech, record it because the brilliance that comes out of you when you are in that flow state, you're in that elevated state, isn't necessarily going to come for you when you lock yourself in a room to write your speech, right? We have this amazing brilliance that comes in when we have energy in the room that we're playing off, even if we're not interacting with the audience if it's just we're standing there and delivering a keynote there's still this enlightenment that happens in that moment that honestly i haven't found another way to tap into it so what are you listening to or not listening to when you have your headphones on <laughs> i have this um this song by a tribe called red mm. it's called burn your village to the ground which is the arsonist so <laughs> it's this like heavy um native heartbeat um, they call it electro when tribes come together mm-hmm. and have a ceremony and there's the drums and stuff. I can't remember what it's right. called. Okay. Yeah. Me neither. But you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I so know what you're talking about, but I don't know the name of it. Yeah. They're this amazing um, group out of Ottawa, Ontario, who has put together all this stuff. And it very much speaks to, you know, things that are going on in our culture, things that are going in our, on our society. So it's very much a political statement with mm-hmm. everything that they make, but their music just like brings me down, gives me energy, but it also gives me that grounding to get into that flow state. Nice. Nice. You know, it's, it's very interesting that you brought that up because I know so many speakers and they all have different ways of being on fire when they get on stage. And then there's some speakers who get on stage and they're cold and you're like, Hmm, why is this person on stage? Right? Because we all need to understand 
what drives us. And, and obviously you do, right? And every one of us has to understand because if you see some MMA fighters, if you see boxers, if you see somebody who's a figure skater, any, any sport, everybody goes through a ritual, if you will, right? It's a ritual. You go through a ritual of how do we bring the best self out? Because when you're on stage, you're bringing the best person that you know out there because you want to deliver the best speech when you're in a and you said it when you were performing you would do the same thing because you want to be the best performer there is and as a performer myself and you know i've done all these different things it's every time that we're going to be in front of someone it's and it is that out of body experience that i feel right that you're like oh it's so invigorating and it's so easygoing that it is a beautiful thing to experience and not everybody experiences that mm -hmm. do you remember the first time you gave a public speech yes it was in grade four mm. um, i had moved from ottawa to saskatchewan and my parents put me in french immersion and so i was the only kid who hadn't been in french immersion since they were in kindergarten so i was this it totally drove me into more of that shy state but I've always had a photographic memory. So my ability to memorize the speech is quite impeccable. And so my mom had actually taken the Christopher leadership course, which was a public speaking course. I don't even know if it still exists, but she, we were not allowed to do our speeches with cue cards in our hands. She like refused for us to do that. So <laughs> I had to be able to memorize it and be able to deliver it. So that's where I tapped into my photographic memory and was able to do that. So that was in yeah grade four. So I would have been nine. And I, I won for our school, and then I got to represent at um, the city championships. Nice. Definitely had it early, where so many public speakers didn't. Mm -hmm. They only started in their 20s or 30s or 40s or even 50s, right? What's one word of advice that you would give someone? Because I've heard it over and over and over again, not to memorize your speech, but to go by cues, right? Mm -hmm. But you just said it the other way around, to know it in your head. Do you go word for word verbatim, or do you go for the thoughts that almost like you have bullet points in your head? So it depends on the length of the speech and the type of speech. So if it's a keynote where I'm storytelling and I'm taking them and dragging them down the rabbit hole, I like I physically choreograph my speech as well. So if, if you watch any of my videos, you'll see the keynotes. It's it is like I'm dancing, but I'm not, mm. right? So I take you through this physical journey as well as this, all the other senses that I can pull in in my speeches. And with those ones, I do have done them so many times that they come out pretty much the same. So they are, they're like a piece of artwork. Whereas when it comes to the educational ones, there's stories that I'm used to telling and those are more off the cuff. They're more like a conversation like we're having. Right. So that's a different kind of scenario. So you know, people will be like, oh, there's a speech you wanted to give, the speech that you practiced and the speech that you actually gave. And my best advice is prepare to give the speech that you want to give. Yeah. Practice it because, you know, especially if you're a professional or you have, you're proud of your work, you don't want to go out there and suck on stage <laughs> yes. because that'll scare you and make you never want to do it again. Right. right, right. And so many people go up there and wing it. Mm. and 
If you want to get hired back, if you want to build your speaking career, you have to put yourself at a certain caliber. It's like when you went to any kind of professional school, like when we went to dental school, you had to practice your craft to be able to pass, to get out there in the real world and do it. The same thing comes with speaking. So I really do not believe in flying by the seat of your pants. The first time you give your speech should not be when you've got a thousand people in your audience. Right. Give it to some of your very judgy friends. <laughs> or <laughs> get your friends. <laughs> yeah, or get them to pretend to be judgy and just like stone face you, even in the funny stuff that you're saying, so that you have that <gasps> happen when you are in a controlled environment. Because then if it happens on stage, you've already been through it and you can calm yourself back down. But if you're experiencing that for the first time when you're delivering a new speech and you start getting in your head, oh my gosh, I must sound ridiculous. Mm. No one is listening to me. I shouldn't be up here. Like, why don't I just like shut this down and walk out right now? That, that's a terrible way to do a speech. And so I really don't recommend that method at all. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, I love the fact that you talked about videotaping yourself because then who's your best judge? You are, right? You can say, hmm, like my hands are doing the wrong thing or my body language because body language is part of public speaking, right? Talk to me about why you said your main platform is LinkedIn. My main platform is LinkedIn because that is where my audience is. I've dabbled with Instagram. I've played with Facebook and LinkedIn 100% of the time is where my, my clients come from. And that's a big part of it is because they are high-level professionals. So that's where they're consuming a lot of their content. Yeah. Instagram is not where people want to have heavy-duty thought leadership. They want something that's fun. Facebook, if you want to get the attention, you're paying to play. So if you want to have that organic content that is actually going to drive your sales, LinkedIn is still the way to go. And a lot of people will not put themselves out on LinkedIn yeah. because Anyone who's heard me speak before, I always say it's a platform full of smart pants. And yeah. so you, you are going to have to put yourself out there and, you know, set your ego aside and know that, you know, you probably aren't going to get the engagement that you wanted because people by liking your content or commenting on it, they're putting their reputation on the line. And if you're new out of the gate, they don't trust you yet. Mm. So they aren't going to back you until they see that you are consistent, that you are constantly showing up with amazing content. It's new and it's fresh and it's provocative, not in a dark way, but like thought provoking Correct. and makes people think, makes them learn something and walk away and go, oh, that was the best 30 seconds I spent today. Right. And that's why I think if you can be brave enough to put yourself on LinkedIn and don't go out there and just wing it, have a plan. This is your reputation on the line by going on LinkedIn. You have to show up well. You have to have you know, lay that foundation of who you are, what you do, what you want to put out there and build on that and stay consistent to it so that you do show up well and you have people go, yeah, this person knows what she's talking about. This person has things that I want to listen to. This person has got it together. And that's where you really start to win with LinkedIn. So no throwing spaghetti against the wall, hoping something will stick, get a plan and stick to it and um, pay attention to what's actually going on on the platform. Right. And if you are going to throw spaghetti, make sure you have a lot of sauce. More stuff sticks that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. How do you work on LinkedIn? Do you post every day? Do you post twice a week? Do you post twice a day? Mm -hmm. How do you do it? Because there's so many different people stating different things, right? And certain times, what is the best time to post? Because I post on, on Facebook, 
on Facebook and LinkedIn every single day. And yeah, the engagement in Facebook is is not as serious as it is in LinkedIn. There's no doubt. And you have more professionals on LinkedIn, right? What's your strategy and what do you do? What I recommend is people post two to three times per week. Hmm. And that seems to be a pretty maintainable way of doing it. And what I would suggest is pick four things that you want to talk about. Create four videos, turn those videos into an article, turn them into a, an infographic, turn it into a photo that has a metaphor related to that topic. So you're hitting people with that topic over and over again for each of those pieces of content that you create through video so that you're reinforcing it. Because people learn in different ways. Some people are not going to watch a video. Some people are not going to read an article. Some people are not going to look at an infographic. So you have to hit them in the way that they learn and the way that they want to consume content. So it can't be all video. And the the platform, unless you have a ton of engagement with every post that you're putting, if you're going more than two to three times a week, you're going to get punished. You're going to come across as spammy to the algorithm and they are not going to show your content. Um, And the way that the algorithm has changed, it changed again this fall. It has created this slow burn. So it used to be post and it would go out to everyone and then it would slowly come down. Now it is slowly getting posted um, to people's feeds. So you've got this slow burn. So you can't expect instantly you're going to have a thousand views in a day. You're going to maybe get the a thousand views over a week. And then if you look at it in a month, maybe you've got 10,000 views by the end of it. So you have to just know that it is not instant gratification. It is definitely that slow burn, but know that if the content is good, it'll start showing up in front of more and more people. So it kind of is testing the waters with your content. And then once you start trending, then it will actually shoot you out in front of more people. And you'll start to see if you're doing great content, you're going to have it showing up um, and you're going to have people liking and commenting where second and third uh, degree connections, Mm -hmm. not just your immediate audience. So it's, I think it's actually pretty cool. Like when it first started, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like I'm not getting the engagement (laughs) that I normally get. And then of course, with what I do, I dig into the algorithm. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. And it actually makes sense. And it's actually created more engagement over the long term than the old way. So it's a good thing, but it feels crappy when it, when it started. Yeah. You know, with every question that I've asked you, you just over deliver. My God, Angela, you're just amazing. I'm so happy that you and I connected. Right. And thank you so much for being on my show because you're amazing. And you're someone that everybody should be following because not only are you so knowledgeable on on everything that we've talked about, but you're such a giver, right? You you're you're easy to talk to, you're easy to have people understand. And then you also expect a lot. I can tell. I can tell any client of yours is going to go, uh oh, I got to really go with her. And I, not only that, but she's going to kick my butt, right? She's going to make me do the work. And, and I congratulate you on that. Because a lot of people don't do that. They don't, they make it easy for people, which is good. Don't get me wrong. I think easy is good. But you also have to do the hard work. Because the hard work is the one that truly pays dividends. That's where you truly grow and that's where the change truly comes through. What is your advice for someone who wants to either find a coach or become a coach? So if you're trying to find a coach, obviously do your research, but trust your gut. 
Because someone can tell you that this is the best person for you and you have a conversation with them and your gut goes, oh, something, something's not right here. And that doubt that you have, it's going to carry through in that relationship and you're not going to fully engage with them. You're not going to fully trust them. So find that person that you relate to. You know, maybe they have the same personality. Maybe they had a journey that that's what you're trying to take. But go with your gut on that. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to become a coach, I always think that you should have walked the path before you try and bring people on the path with you. Right. We see lots of people get certified and they're like, oh, I'm going to be a business coach. And they haven't ever run their own business. So they don't, they don't have this ability to really relate to people because they haven't walked the walk. Um, so yes, if you're going to become a coach, become a coach in something that you understand very, very well, that's very dear to your heart and figure out the reason why you want to do that and make sure that it is about giving. It's not about your ego. It's about how can you change the world with what you've been through? How can you reach back and pull people forward because of your own journey? Yeah. Be passionate too, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Because it's going to be hard for you to coach someone, especially, you know, as a coach yourself and, and everyone who is a coach, we all understand that in order for us to coach someone, I think that we have to resonate with them, right? But likewise, they have to resonate with us as coaches, because if there's this disconnect between us, that coaching is going to be rough. And if you're only doing it for the money, you, you won't serve anybody at all, right? Correct. Yes, the money is not worth it. If you have your your schedule is filled with people that you go, do I really have to deal with them today? So you want to find those people that you're passionate to help with the knowledge that you have, for sure. You know, every year um, I've been taking on pro bono clients. People who I know can definitely get the help, but may not be able to afford it. And so for me, that it's not about, and we talked about, it's not about money. It's about the change that we can help someone achieve that they're looking for, right? So I don't know how many coaches actually do that where they say, you know what? I charge so much money, but I'm going to not charge. And I usually I pick two, maybe sometimes three, depends on the person. And I go, okay. And I give them the same amount of coaching that I would give any paying client. and. What I found is that when I used to do that more openly, people wouldn't take it they, because it's free. Right. So what I said is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you for free for a month. If you do the work, then I'll continue. But if you don't do the work, we're both wasting each other's time because my time is so valuable, as is yours, right? So for me, that's important because my time, if I'm going to spend it with you, I want to enjoy myself, right? That's important because my quality of my life is everything. What are your thoughts on that? I love that idea. And it always sounds great to do stuff for free. And as when I had my practice, we would do hundred grand a year of pro bono work. And we had to get really selective of who we were going to do that for, because if they didn't value it, if they didn't understand you know, yes, they understand the dollar value that they're being given, but they needed to be invested in the treatment as well. Just like if they're going with you, they need to be invested in the coaching. If they're not invested, then they don't value it. They're not going to do the work, right? They're not going to show up for the appointments. They're not going to actually move themselves forward. And it's hard to to say no to people that you know you can help. But if you know that they actually aren't going to do what they need to do to help themselves, Mm -hmm. 
you're just going to spend so much time and so much effort and not actually get them to where they want to go. And then you're going to feel like a failure, even though it had nothing to do with your intentions with them. So Angela, how can someone get your books? They're both on Amazon. So the first one is called The Passion Pursuit. And then the second one is called Unleashing Influence. My gosh, I am so blessed to have this conversation with you today. I truly feel it. And thank you. And I don't know if we're connected on LinkedIn, but we definitely have to be now. <laughs> yes. So thank you again for today. It has been such a pleasure. And you, you're an abundance of joy and knowledge. And this is why I'm thrilled that we made this connection. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Raphael. I appreciate it. All right. You have an amazing day. You as well. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. I'm trying to keep this episode free of advertisements. Anything you can donate to the cause is greatly appreciated. To donate, go to paypal.me backslash Raphael. Thank you and I really appreciate your help.